So I was on a walk on Wednesday, August 2nd. How do I know that it was Wednesday, August 2nd? Because I was recording some thoughts that I had about this message that I'm sharing here today on that walk. And when I look back on the recording, it said August 2nd. I had just made the turn. I was on this walk, and I had just made the turn down from John's Road here in Shoreview onto Lexington. Maybe some of you know the intersection there. And literally on the recording that I'm recording to myself, I say, wait, what's that smell out loud? Because it was such a, a strong, um, made such a strong impression on me. Have you ever had a smell take you back? A city worker had just driven their tractor size more. The grass and the, the plants had gotten really tall alongside the road there. And they just came through with their industrial size more. And, and they had cut this grass. And I picked up a, a handful of that. I brought it to my nose. And I just inhaled. And it brought me back to harvest time. Harvest time on a little family farm. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. There is no time like harvest time. My dad was a mechanical engineer, but he was raised on a farm. Farming was in his blood. And he and my mom bought a small farmstead just south of Hastings. That's where I was brought up. And harvest time, that was one of my favorite times of the year. We had this 11-acre alfalfa field. Have any of you ever smelled fresh-cut alfalfa? We also had a massive garden, and it was more like a small field, actually, with sweet corn, pumpkins, potatoes. We had another garden where we grew peas and beans and radishes and tomatoes. It takes a whole lot of work to get those seeds to become a harvest. But man, it's worth it. Now, this idea of reaping what you sow, where all of your hard work results in a payoff, that is true in more areas than just agriculture, isn't it? Think of what goes into mastering a musical instrument or a life-changing skill. Think of what it feels like to get finished with that huge project or assignment, and then you get rewarded for your work. Think of all that goes into winning a championship, and not just any championship, one that's against really strong competition. Think of all that goes into becoming a Navy SEAL. Think of all that goes into founding, not just a company, but a successful company. Think about those things. It's hard. It takes a lot of time, but it's worth it. And now think of something, and, and not, I'm not just saying this rhetorically. Think of something that you worked really, really hard at and something that then had a great payoff. And now, with that in your mind, I encourage you to write this down. When was your last? This is why I invested in that moment. When was your last? This is why I invested in that moment. When was the last time you said, all that hard work, it was worth it? We're a faith community that desires to be as connected to the life and teachings of Jesus as branches are connected to a vine. Jesus of Nazareth, he was a vision caster. In fact, we open this teaching series that we're in right now with an account of Jesus calling his first disciples. He gave an invitation for fishermen who had just caught a once-in-a-lifetime catch. He said, hey, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers, not just of fish, but of men. What if most of us caught that kind of a vision, the kind of vision that caused Jesus' first disciples to leave their nets 
and to follow him. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. Jesus of Nazareth invites us to invest our best in what he treasures. All right, why do we, as a church, put so much time and effort into our fall retreats and our snow camps that we have for our teens and our preteens? Why do we do it? The evidence is right out on the other side of this wall right here, out in our hallway, in that I said yes display. There is nothing that we are doing that is having a greater impact on more people. All that hard work, it's worth it. Why are we, as a church, like we said in the the message that opened up this series, why were we in Juarez, Mexico, in 107-degree heat, hauling buckets of cement across a courtyard in one of the most broken cities on the planet? Why? Because it's worth it. There are kids there at that children's home, on that site, whose school burned down. It's worth it. And I want to invite you to do this wherever you are, wherever you're watching. I want to invite you to raise your hand. If you have been involved with adoption or fostering or refugee ministry, everybody in the studio right now, which is Sam and I, we are, 100% of our hands are raised. Why do we do that? Why do we care so much about those issues? Because everyone needs a family. It's worth it. And what we're seeing is we're seeing fruits in all of those investments that I've just talked about. Over the last four years or so, there has been a growing sense that we as a church family are uniquely positioned to address another real need. The need for thriving church services and ministries that are both in English and in Spanish. If you're just joining us, this is part four of a four-part series called Juntos. Juntos is a Spanish word that means, if you know it, say it with me, together. Juntos means together. In this final week of the series, what I'd like to do is to open our Bibles together to John chapter 4, and I'd like to apply something that Jesus modeled to something that we're about to do as a church. And I want to connect all that with harvest time. Why? Because the text itself in today's scripture reading does just that. So here we go. If you have your Bible with you, please open with me to uh, John chapter 4, verses 31 through 33. Hey, as you're opening, I had, you know, my marker already in place. As you're opening up your Bible or, or turning it on, on, on your, your app there, I, I just want to take a moment to, to say this to our um, Studio Church family. Hey, Studio Church family, it's killing me to be here again in an empty room delivering this message. I love our Studio Church community, and I love when we get people coming in who haven't experienced it before too. It, it's great. We're in this, this little studio here. We have a, a really intimate moment where we can share these thoughts and open our Bibles together. So know that my heart is with you. Um, it was a scheduling thing. I didn't know, we didn't know when we scheduled this message that I was going to be taking my youngest daughter off to college. So pray for the Studensky family. It's, uh, it's, those moments can be tough. Many of you have been there before when, you're, when your baby goes off to, off to school. All right, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah, here we go. John chapter 4, verses 31 through 33. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Hey, has someone brought him something to eat? This scripture opens up with the word meanwhile. Meanwhile, which signals 
that we are jumping into a story that started earlier than this. What's going on here? Well, it was noon. Jesus was tired. He sat down by a well, and the disciples went into town to get some food. When they came back, they ended up interrupting him. Jesus was having a really important conversation. He had just revealed that he, Jesus, was the Messiah, and he revealed this to a Samaritan woman. While the disciples were out there hunting for food, Jesus had been doing the kind of fishing that he had cast a vision for earlier when he called his first disciples. The kind of food that they came back with, that was the last thing on his mind. Look at this. Just, Jesus says this in verse 34. Uh, he, he says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. When was the last time that you were engaged with something that was so compelling and so important that you went without eating? That's the kind of work that our Father invites us into. Let's continue with our text. It says this in verse 35, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, I'm told that this lift up your eyes, that was a common Old Testament expression. They may have heard that expression back then as much as you often will hear, hey, would you put your phone down and pay attention because this really matters. You know, that was then, lift up your eyes, what put down your phone is possibly now. So that was a common expression. But I'm also told that this idea of white for harvest or at least that phrasing, white for harvest, that was not a common expression in that time and in that place. White was the color of barley fields at harvest. White was also the color of purity and redemption. And this gets really fun, because white was the color of something else. Jesus knows something they don't know. He knows what's about to come, something that's about to happen. So stay tuned. And I'll tell you what that is. It's so cool. And it's something I never noticed before. If you feel like, hey, I've read the Bible before, keep going back to it because every time, every time you can find something fresh, something new. All right, let's work our way to this, um, to this thing that I'm going to share later. So here's some of this backstory. Here's what, some of what comes before the meanwhile. This backstory to Jesus' cryptic words about a different kind of food and fields that are white for harvest. All right, so here's how chapter 4 opens. Chapter 4 opens like this. Now Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And it says he had to pass through Samaria. That had to language, that was highlighted in a whole lot of the resources that I looked at as I was doing my research. What does the author mean when he says had to? Well, in one sense, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria to go to Judea, which was in the south, up to Galilee in the north. There was another route, and the route that they would often take would take you around Samaria. You'd go the long way. It would as, it'd be as if you're going from Missouri to Minnesota, but you didn't want to go through Iowa. So you went all the way around it because you really didn't like Iowans. Well, most Jews and most Samaritans didn't get along. So rather than cutting through, the Jews would often go around. They didn't get along, as I said earlier, and that's putting it lightly. 
Many of them despised one another. There were Jews who went as far as to declare the entire group, the entire category of Samaritans, you're all unclean. And now sometimes it would just take the form of we're not going to mix. Other times it went a lot further. When I was doing my research, I found out that according to the historian Josephus, about 20 years before this account happened, some Samaritan knuckleheads, they defiled the temple in Jerusalem by scattering human bones in the courtyard, and they did it during Passover. That's a big deal. There were times it would even go further than that, where there was bloodshed over, um, over their differences. Well, the text, it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So what is he meaning? What does it mean? Well, a number of scholars, and I would concur, they say what Jesus was getting at there by saying I had to, I can't not. I am compelled to go through Samaria rather than around it. To him, he had something that the one who had sent him had work for him to do. And that was more important to Jesus even than eating. We don't live by bread alone, the Bible teaches, in both the Old Testament and the New Jesus couldn't not share the good news of the gospel with the Samaritan woman. In a world that loves to turn people against each other, Jesus of Nazareth is quoted as saying, blessed be the peacemakers. And he modeled those words in situations like this. All right, let's go back to our text. Again, all of this, all of this comes before the meanwhile. Here are verses 7 and 8. A woman from Samaria, Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews do not have dealings with the Samaritans. All right, so Jesus was talking to a Samaritan. We talked a little bit about that before. But he's not just talking to a Samaritan. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. In that time and in that place, here's what men would have thought about that. Here's a quote I came across. To teach women or girls not only was a waste of time, but a profaning of sacred things. Barbie would have had choice words for those boys. In a time and in a place when men didn't invest their time and teaching into women, why was Jesus investing in her? I love the straightforward simplicity of this quote that I came across. Jesus is talking with this woman. Why? Because God loves her. Because God loves her. While the disciples were getting Jesus something to eat, Jesus was at a well talking with a woman about living water. In that time, in that place, living water referred to running water the kind of water you'd find in a stream, the kind of water that was cool and pure and fresh, living water in that area, it was precious. It was valued. According to rabbinic law, it was the only water that was to be used in ritual washings to make unclean worshipers pure. As Jesus revealed that he knew a whole lot about this woman's past, a past that would have brought her a lot of shame. Imagine her. She's hearing about living water, something that is valued, something's pure. And she probably felt, man, that's not me. I'm not valued. I'm not pure. And living water, that was something that was far removed from her hometown, 
They didn't have living water in Sheshem where she was. You had to go outside the city limits, not even to find um, living water, but just to find a well to get any water at all. Well, the more that Jesus invested in her, the more her eyes were now opened. I want you to take a look at something. Take a look at this. This is the progression that we see in chapter 4 on what is being revealed about Jesus. It goes from referring to Jesus as Jesus. Then she refers to him as a Jew. Then she begins using language of sir, prophet. And then before this account is done, Jesus is being referred to as Christ and Messiah. That is the context that comes before the meanwhile that we opened with where the disciples returned with food that Jesus was too busy to eat because at that moment, he's going about his father's business of changing lives. And do you remember how I told you my own eyes were open to things in this passage that I didn't notice before? I want to show you a couple of these. Oh, this is so fun. This is one of them. This is out of verses 28 through 30. The woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. The reason we emphasize those words, let out her water jar, how do we start this series? How do we start it? And this wasn't by design. I wish it had been. I was, oh, what if we do this and then this and it'll bookend it all together? I think this was the living water of the Holy Spirit putting this together. How do we start this series? We started with talking about men who had left what? They had left their full nets. They left their nets and they followed Jesus. Well, these men, they returned with food. And as they're returning with food, a woman was leaving her empty jar and she was going to do the kind of food that Jesus was talking about. And it gets better. Here's the, here's the thing I said, oh, I'm excited to share this with you. When Jesus called his first disciples, he said, come follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. That's what this woman was doing when she left her jar and went to town. She had gone fishing for people, and now it's harvest time. And imagine this, as Jesus is saying, the fields are white for harvest. All of these people, who some of the scholars said were probably dressed in light or white clothing, all of these people start making their way to that well, at that moment, here's how one of the scholars put it. Jesus may well be referring to the approaching Samaritans who would probably be wearing white clothing. Jesus could see a future that would come to pass if he would do the hard work of investing right now. Jesus invested in a Samaritan woman, someone who others would have told Jesus, hey, you've got no business talking to a Samaritan woman because you are a Jewish Man, there was a real need that Jesus could not not help with because his food was to do the will of the Father. And it was worth it. A woman who may have gone to that well during the heat of the day, remember Jesus was there at, at noon, she might have went there at that time to avoid the people of the town because of the shame and guilt that she carried. She left her water jar and she ran back to that community with good news to share. When was the last time you were convicted by something, a real need that made you say, I don't care the cost. I got to leave those things behind. This matters. This matters. And I'm uniquely positioned to help. 
The further along we get on this Juntos journey as a church family, the more and more there are individuals at our church who are being convicted. We can't not do this. We can. Please write this down. It's important. There's a real need for bilingual services. And we are uniquely positioned to help. Emmanuel is partnering with trusted friends in the Latino community to address a real need. So I want to invite you, lift up your eyes. Look at how fast the Latino population is growing, not just in the United States, but right here in our own backyard. Let's lift up our eyes and let's see the real need that there is for bilingual services. Services that by being bilingual are not just reaching one generation who knows Spanish, but we're reaching whole families where Spanish and English are spoken. Let's lift up our eyes to the people God has already drawn to Emmanuel, for whom Spanish is their heart language. They're already here. We've got people from Mexico, El Salvador. In fact, I want to share this really quick. So one of the people on our search team, this team that's out there searching now for our, our first Juntos pastor. One of them, his name is Ramundo. Many of you know him. If you're part of the church family, if you've been a part of church family for a long time, you definitely know him. Um, Ramundo, uh, he grew up at the children's home in uh, Juarez, Mexico. And so we were talking about the, the, the search team, and I asked the search team, okay, tell me, why are we doing this? Why does this matter? And they're all going around sharing their stories. Well, Ramundo just, he got very transparent. He said, so I can have a pastor who I can talk to. And what he didn't mean is, oh, I don't feel like I can talk to Pastor Dan or Pastor Jason or Pastor Chris. What he meant is that I can talk to in my heart language. So many of those folks, they're already here. So let's lift up our eyes. Let's lift up our eyes. We're not alone. Look at this. God has positioned us. He drew us to the covenant denomination. Most of us, we came from outside the covenant. Why does that matter? Because I don't know of a denomination that is more invested in Spanish-speaking churches than the covenant. And for the last four years, because we're part of the covenant, I've been building a bond of friendship and trust with the co-founders of Destino Covenant Church and the founders now of Juntos Consulting. And these are two of the premier voices on the planet when it comes to bilingual services, English and in Spanish and doing that in the United States context. And they've chosen to partner with us, with Emmanuel. So let's lift up our eyes. Let's lift up our eyes and see that God already has so many people strategically placed right here at our church. People who were born in Mexico and El Salvador. People who are biracial and bicultural in their relationships and their families. People who've served as missionaries to Spanish-speaking countries. Again, all these are already people who are already in our congregation. People who currently serve on worship teams and kids ministry and youth ministry. People who God's been preparing for such a time as this. Those are just the people who are here. Don't you think we probably have some neighbors who also God's been preparing for a moment like this? So let's lift up our eyes. Let's look at the fruit that's already come out of the long-term partnership with our friends in Juarez. We've been doing juntos with them longer than we've been doing Sunday services as a church family. And as we all lift up our eyes, as all of us are lifting up their eyes, there's something that's going to happen with some. As everyone lifts up their eyes, some of you, you're going to feel something in your heart. You're going to feel that heart pound a little bit faster that perhaps this is something that you should get involved with more than just kind of at a, at a distance. 
if you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. This could be a leave your jar moment for many of you. I'm going to say that again. And I want you to be open. This could be a leave your jar moment for you. The passage we open this series with, the passage we're going to close with, <laughs> they both beg a question. What's your diet? What's your diet as a disciple? Are you getting enough quality food? According to Jesus, if you're not doing the will of your father, that's going to lead to malnutrition. And are you getting enough living water? According to Jesus, especially if you look at how chapter 4 is connected with the chapters that come before it, 1 through 3, living water, that's the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in and through you. If you're well-fed, if you're well-hydrated, if you're like, yes, I'm already engaged. I am engaged in substantive things. I'm doing the work that I really believe God's called me to do. I want to applaud you. I want to cheer you on. That is the majority of the people at our church. But perhaps if you're feeling like, you know what, this might be for me, what I want to invite you to do is go, um, right now you can go to manual.church slash next, and then just scroll down. You'll find an online connection card. Just click the online connection card and say, put me on the Juntos update list. That's the step we'd invite you to take for right now. Because we can't really get ahead of ourselves here. We can't get ahead of, of having... Uh, do too much before we get our pastor in place. So be until we get a Juntos pastor in place, and we don't know how long that's going to take, we're committed to making sure we get the right person, not just best available. And so we don't know how long it's going to take, but when that person is here, we want to have a list ready to go of people who said, I would like to um, perhaps learn more about being on that launch, on that launch team. And we also can keep you updates on how the search is going. Again, this isn't for everyone. This is going to be for our Juntos pioneers. If you want to join something that is already figured out, where we already have all the answers, this is not the team for you. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be messy. It's going to take a whole lot of time, possibly, before we see fruit. But it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. I want to close with uh, something my friend Batel Lopez shared with us. We were down in Juarez this summer. It actually was something that her father, Josue, said. Growing up, he would remind Batel, her uh, her brother's sister's uh, sister, uh, that the home was founded by both an American missionary and a Mexican pastor. And he would say this. He said, the only way this works is together. Juntos, together. Juntos es mejor, together is better. So here's my invitation to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a real need, real need, that we as a church family are uniquely positioned to help with, and here's my invitation. The only way this works is together. So I want to encourage everybody, everyone, let's pray for this. We want to pray, encourage everyone, spread the word. This is something that God is doing in our midst. We want to encourage everyone to give as the scripture instructs, as the spirit leads. We can have some resources that we can put towards this. And if you think God might be calling you to be one of those Juntos pioneers, I want to invite you to write, sign me up for Juntos updates on your connection card. Again, it's going to be a whole lot of hard work, but it's going to be worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you draw us into things that matter. You created us. The scripture says in Ephesians that we're your workmanship. We're created by God to do good works, which you prepared in advance for us to do. So Lord, help open our eyes and our hearts to what those good works are and help us to say yes to your good work. Help us to say yes to your living water flowing in and through us. 
And Father, we're excited to continue to watch as you bring forth a harvest, as we plant and, and we water and you make things grow. In Jesus' name, amen.